Joe presents TKO together with 32 Red. Hello and welcome to TKO on Joe together with 32 Red. We're a podcast and YouTube show with you every Thursday. This week, our guest is a man who retired undefeated in the professional ranks, a two-weight lineal unified champion of the world, rated by The Ring magazine as the pound-for-pound best in the world during his time as champion. I'm so pleased to say Andre Ward joins us after one of the most chaotic but brilliant days I yeah. think I've ever seen in boxing at McGill's gym yesterday. Yeah. How was it for you? It was good. I mean, I, I've always had a lot of support from the UK fans and, you know, I want to come over more and I'm, I'm planning on working on, you know, finding ways to get over here more for just meet and greets, dinners, things like that. But obviously when I'm calling a fight, that's a great reason. I just don't want to come call the fight. I want to try to at least pick a gym or two, kind of reach out and, and touch the people. And we had an opportunity to do that yesterday. Why is that important for you to do? Because no one paid you to do that. You don't have to do that. I just feel like, and I've always felt like if, if, you know, as a fighter and now a former fighter, um, just to win championships and to make money for myself and not care about anyone else, you know, I, I'd be failing. You know, that that's not really a career well spent. Um, I'm aware of my fan base and I'm aware that there are, you know, people my age, but also, more importantly, younger fighters who, you know, <clears throat> it's just a huge inspiration to be able to see you and talk to you and ask you maybe one question and get an answer and have some dialogue, and I didn't always have that where I was from. I mean, I had contenders and, you know, guys that were, you know, trying to fight their way through, but never really an established guy, an established mm-hmm. champion to come and sit down with me and talk to me. So I wished I had that. So any any opportunity I get, I'm going to try to be that. I think, see, if you're a boxer or a sports person, whether you like it or not, you're in a, a position yeah. that you're a role model for young kids, and I think if you get the chance to give back, you should always do it. So I was there yesterday. I thought it was brilliant what you'd done. Like, you'd done that off your own back. You didn't have to do that, yeah. but you and Timothy Bradley came down, spoke to the kids, and they'll remember that for a long time. Mm. They'll remember that for the rest of their life, possibly. Mm. Definitely. I guess for you, coming to the end of your <clears> career <throat> now, certainly the last year, 18 months, and you now being retired two years in September, as weird as that probably sounds to you yeah. after nearly a quarter of a century in the game, it's proof in the pudding that having an exit strategy as a fighter coming towards the end of your career is surely one of the most important things you can you can set up, right? Yeah. I mean, so many times, if you look at, you know, boxing history, fighters don't have anything after the sport. They have no identity. They're, you know, boxing is all that they do, all that they know. And and I understand that to a degree, but but even if that is the case, you you, you have to fight with the end in, in, in mind. Like, it's going to come to an end at some point in time. Like, that's a fact. Mm-hmm. I don't know what age, I don't know how long you're going to have in the sport or what you're going to accomplish, but at some point it's going to end, and it's probably smart to start planning for that even while you're still active. I just want to bring you on to, to someone that, again, is also ending the, the, the sort of brilliance of the fair Corinne Nonito Donaire, who I know yeah. you're both friends of you more recently. Yeah. You guys go a long, long way. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's, of course, headlining maybe the final super fight of his career, November 7th in Saitama. Yeah. Um, just tell me a little bit about your, your friendship with Nonito and how far that goes back. Day one, literally. Uh, USA Karate and Boxing is a gym that we, we both started at. So it was part karate and, and part boxing. And his brother, Glendon there, was actually the first person I ever sparred. And he was older than me, but he's you know Filipino kid, so we were the same size. Um, very powerful, very strong, heavy puncher. And he used to he used to he used to beat me up, you know, for the first three or four months until I started to kind of figure it out and get my legs under me. Nanito came to the gym and Glenn was good, but then Nanito was different. He just had he had the same power, but he had a different type of style. Um, he had creativity and he, you know he he'd be off balance and hit you with a punch and knock you out. So 
that was the boxing side. But then from the as far as just his personality and the type of heart that he had, just very soft spoken, as you guys know. Cares deeply about his family, uh, about his faith, and and he was just we just connected. We just connected, and you know he was going through some rough times at that time when I was just kind of coming into my own with my faith, and I was able to kind of you know encourage him and and kind of you know kind of pull him up a little bit, and, and we just stayed close. Like we don't talk every day, but anytime I see him, man, it's a warm embrace. Mm. Um, I'm following him from a distance, and he's always followed me and supported me, and that's gonna be my brother for life. Mm. When, see, when you fight someone, you always you have a respect for them, and you'll have his respect for the rest of your life. But since I fought Nino Dinar, I feel like we've become became good friends. Yeah. And we keep in touch all. The, I was texting him this morning. We we're texting all the time, talking about the new e fight, and you know, passing on little bits of advice and stuff mm. to each other. He's a great guy. His wife Rachel, lovely person. Christine, my own wife, and Rachel and I got this little bit of a relationship yeah. going on. So that's a great story for boxing. And yeah. I hope he does well. I really, I'd love to see him. People have a new, like, is just going to wipe Denar out. I forget the new Denar is a serious puncher. Yeah. This is a, this is. A, I think it's, I think Denar could do it. I really do think mm-hmm. that. Wow, what, a, what an end to his career that would be. Um, there was a time where he was thinking of hanging him up in the early days. He didn't have any money, yeah. and he tells a story about finding money that you put in his backpack so yeah. that he could travel and eat. Um, what stage of his career was was that? When was this? Do you know? I think it was some like in the middle, like he was, you know, he was, he had a decent amateur uh, pedigree at that time. But again, he had hit like he had hit a crossroads. You know, he was just he didn't care about boxing. Um, money was an issue. And again, he was my brother. So I was doing, you know, OK at that time. And that's how my dad raised me. Like my dad was the type of person that would give you his coat off his back, like literally give you his coat off his back. And that is in me. So, you know, I saw my brother in need and I'm not a showy guy. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not going to give you something and then make a big deal about it. I'll probably slip it in your bag, like he said. And um, it's crazy because he never forgot that. Like I forget about it sometimes when I'm talking to him. He's like, bro, he'll pull somebody that we don't even know to the side. Say, hey, this guy right here, this is what he did for me. And I'm like, bro, it's cool. Don't worry about it. But he, he never forgot that. But so. that could have been a difference between him getting the bus to training yeah. and not that day or eating that day and not and, and those are the, the margins in boxing sometimes that can be the difference between carrying on and, and stopping or, or packing it completely in yeah. imagine we didn't have any new dinner because Andre yeah. Ward <laughs> oh, didn't man. put a few pounds in his, in his gym bag yeah this is it I, I don't know I guess for all of you guys when you forge those kind of friendships from, from the very beginning with people in such an individual sport where there yeah. are very few people you can lean on when you have that success that's about as close as you'll get to a team in boxing isn't yeah. it right I mean he returned a favour um, in a different way. When Anito stopped uh, Vic Darchinian, like I was just kind of getting going in, in the pro ranks and like, man, that inspired me so much to see my brother come come from behind and, and upset a guy like that. That dude was a monster yeah. at that time. He was underdog as well, wasn't Yes, he? of course. Nobody nobody really knew Anito. No. He, he got on the map from that, that victory. And uh, I remember being at, at Virgil's house. I was in training camp at the time and he had a heavy bag uh, in his garage and I, and I saw that knockout and I just went, straight downstairs and just worked out for like an hour and just banged away at the back and just envisioning like what I was going to do my next fight. But then obviously that just, it just gave me that boost to say, man, this dude is from my backyard. He got a strap when nobody thought he could do it. My strap is on the way. Wow. Growing up in, in, in Belfast, of course, you have the automatic um, benefit if you're a good fighter of having a loyal fan base who love yeah. the sport. It's one of the, the national sports of Northern mm-hmm. Ireland. In America, you have to compete with so, so much in terms of the big broadcast channels, yeah. baseball, basketball, NFL. Um, 
We were we were talking yesterday because you're part Irish because you, your father was was white and Scottish yeah and, and Scottish. Yeah. Did you ever think about using that that sort of part Irish to market yourself as? Because we we're saying, wouldn't it be great to have Irish yeah, Andre Ward? Do you ever look back and think about what what else you could have done in the early days to to increase your visibility when it was such I, a I do. I, I honestly market. didn't really know about that. Like I I knew there was some descent. Mm. Like I didn't, but I never you know I never really dug and found out. And then when I did, I was like, idiot. <laughs> There's <laughs> a whole where, fan where base. Where are from in Ireland? Do you know? Huh? Do you know whether? But I, I'm still like I'm in this like this this place in life right now where like my history is just like I'm enamored by it, and I'm like I'm digging up old stuff from my mother's side, my father's side, and I'm still researching that. Okay. Um, but but that's something that that obviously would not just from a fan base standpoint, but just to like that's a real part of me. Mm. You know, like like I'm considered an African American male, but but I also have that in my blood. And to be able to like let people know that, so the ones that could relate and that could, you know, um, that that have the same blood in them could come and support would be would be amazing. I have a friend, I have a pro friend, Tommy McCarthy. He's a cruiserweight, black kid from Belfast, mm. but he's the broadest Belfast accent. Mm. I always think like Big Tommy can make it in America. Yeah. He yeah. can really do something like yeah, he's, yeah. He's like, well, what about John Big Tommy McCarthy? And you just don't <laughs> you don't picture him, yeah. but it's I think if Big Tommy can crack America. He would make an absolute fortune. Yeah, he would. He would. Get him on one of the undercards, mate, maybe next yeah, year. why not? All of that aside, I think your in-ring talents always spoke for themselves. The first time you really kind of pierced through the bubble, certainly in the UK, was during the Super Series, because, yeah. of course, our own Carl Froch was in there. Yeah. The, the thing about that series, I guess, in a, in a sport that doesn't have a centralised governing body, was it brings promoters who otherwise wouldn't work together together. And when I looked at the list of people, it was Mick Hennessy, Lou DiBella, Dan Goosen, of course, worked with you at the time, Callis Sauerland, who then went on to be the kind of brains behind the World Boxing Super Series. From your point of view, being involved in that tournament, what were the pros and the cons of, of being involved in something like that? I mean, I'll start with the cons. I get, you know, I've heard people say, you know, you, you beat all your competition. Mm. Like, there was nobody else to fight. And I'm like, OK, well, what's the difference between facing all the competition in two years or, or spreading it out maybe four years? Mm -hmm. I like the way that it happened. It's a big moment for me in my career. Like, it was a sink or swim. Like, that tournament could have ruined me. Like, there were... There were real legitimate champions. And, and me and Andre Durrell, we were just there, and, and Jermaine Taylor at the time, we were just there for, like, window dressing. We were just there to make it interesting. Nobody expected us to win. You know, you had Arthur Abraham, who was moving up, but he was dominant at 160. You know, Carl Froch was a WBC champion, and then Mikkel Kessler was the man. Mm. And um, I, I drew him first. So I loved, I loved the tournament. It, it made me who I was. It hardened me. It... it uh, it confirmed to the world, but then also to me and my team that, that everything we believe was true and that I belong. So I loved it just the way that it was. And um, obviously it was a lot of, you know, inner workings and, you know, delays and stuff like that. But we got it done in two years and I was the last man standing. Right. And, I, and I made a friend for life. Call Froch. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, have you, that's a bonus too. Have you seen him this week? He's not been around, has he? He said he went on holiday. He's uh, hiding. He's that's hiding. convenient. Very yeah, conveniently yeah, yeah. timed. Maybe next time. Yeah. What, what would you say to him if you saw him? I honestly don't have. I don't have any bad blood with him. Um, I'm firm with Carl Frost, but I, I don't have no bad blood. Like, I think I think there's a part of him that. It's uh, the right way to say it. I think it's a part of him that that respects me and that that in some cases likes me too, but he's just bitter. Mm. I, was, I was going to ask a question. Do you think he's just a bit bitter? He's just bitter. He, he's bitter, and he and that that's the only like 
real knock that I have on him is he, he he's never been able to stand up and be a man and, and say, look, man, you beat me. Like he's made excuses that don't even make sense. Mm. And if it's not this, it's that. And it's just hard to respect that. But I, but I love just getting a row out of him like every so often. I'll just say one thing. He'll take the bait every time. And, and the fans will just like UK fans, not, not American fans. Mm-mm. English fans will get on him and say, man, you're crazy. Shut up, Carl. And that's just Carl Fry. So I have a good time with it. A lot of it is tongue in cheek. I'm not I'm not. It may seem serious, but it's not. Mm. Um, but I certainly would have liked to see him, man, and, and just. Just see his reaction. Because mm-hmm. in the past, even, you know, as we were building up to fight, maybe a fight or two away from seeing who was going to be in the finals, he would say all these reckless things online. And then as soon as I see him in the hallway in Las Vegas, he's the first one to reach his hand. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because where I come from, like, when you say things like that, like, we believe you. That's real to you. Yeah. yeah like, like, I'm not saying we're going to fight when we see each other, but, like, I expect you to, to maybe not be so friendly. But he would do the opposite of what he said. He's always been that kind of guy, so I don't know. But, I, I, yeah, I kind of miss the guy. I haven't seen him in a while. <laughs> I mean, look, I'll, I think I'll be the first to say that if Carl Fox and George Groves can bury the hatchet and be friends now and do a, a, a sit tour together, yeah. I think there is a chance that you guys, at some point in the future, can are they friends? So. be on good terms. Are they friends? I don't know. Maybe it's I don't think they are. <laughs> <laughs> they just tolerate each other, right? Yeah, a few yeah. quid on a yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, you spend the majority of your career as super middleweight. You kind of spent the, the last couple of fights at light heavyweight. Of the light heavyweight guys coming through, obviously at the very top, we've got the big unification with Baturbi yeah. and Vozdik. Kovalev is, is now kind of a faded version of the man that mm. even you fought and, and in days gone by. Who of the British guys, Yard, Boazzi, Callum Johnson, do you see as, as the future in terms of the UK guys in the light heavyweight? I like Boazzi and I like I like Smith. Um, yeah. mm, of course, yeah. Those are probably my top two, you know. I'm interested to see what Yard does off of the loss. I'm interested to see psychologically what he has left. I want to see if he still has the same energy, you know, the same fervor, the same, the same, you know, just, just confidence after coming off of what he came off of. And I want to see if he keeps everything the same in camp or if he makes the tough decisions and, and, and acknowledges what went wrong and tries to get better. If he can, if he can do those things, and that's a big if, because after the fight, he didn't sound like they were going that direction. His trainer was like, oh, we need to make no, no changes. Nothing was wrong. We, we got this close. Well, one thing he has to understand is, is there's no moral victories in yeah. boxing, hmm. especially when you talk the way that they talk. you got to back it up or you lose credibility. So kind of got him, like, off to the side right now until we see what he does. But Boatsy, he he's got a lot of potential. He seems to be very, very humble. Uh, he's a student of the game, and he's realistic. He's like, I'm not ready for those guys right now. Like, of course, as a fighter, you – He'd fight him tomorrow if he had the opportunity. Mm-hmm. But he knows he's thinking long term. So I like that about him. And Callum Smith, he, um, he he's the truth. He, he's a real deal. So and you never really know until they face another guy at the same level. But it looks like they both have the makings to be a champion one day. Mm-hmm. What about you, Carl? Um, I think, yeah, Callum Smith is a quality fighter. Um, I think what he done, although on Dom in his last performance, and Dom isn't the the top one of the top guys, but the way he went about it and the way he put in that performance. It was so dominating, so clinical, the way I get rid of him. I thought it was a brilliant performance. So Calm Smith, for me, if he comes up to light heavy, mm. is the top dog. I love Buatti. I, I love everything about him. He's, I was speaking to a guy yesterday. Um, Buatti came over, and there was a lot of people around him, and he shook my hand, and he takes time to look at you in the eye yeah. and have a moment. Yeah, yeah. And he's really respectful, like a top-quality kid. And I genuinely believe that he will be 
one of the superstars of British boxing mm. very soon. I mean, you are one of his all-time favourite fighters, and he'd be very jealous that we're here. Um, and I didn't tell him about it, so uh, <laughs> I know he, he values your sort of opinion and yep. advice highly. So, yeah. well, I think that's another thing too that jumps out at me is like he doesn't have to say anything, but it, it's refreshing to see a young guy acknowledge that that I, I've studied you for many, many years. You see a lot of young guys today; they they'll do that, but they won't admit it, and they want to. They want to act like they've done it on their own. And, you know, I didn't, you know, you've had your time. That's my turn. And it's like, that's fine. But you have to respect the guys that have gone before you. You know, you don't have to say it to their face. But it's like when you see a person like Buatzi do that, it just speaks to his character and it speaks to his humility. And and a guy with that kind of ability, that kind of work ethic, those kind of smarts, and then the humility to follow along, you can't help but think he's going to be able to get to the top one day and stay there for a long time. Final question for you. There aren't many fighters who have achieved what you've achieved in the sport, got to the level that you fought at, but are also in retirement able to articulate things in the way that you are. It's a very unique skill set that you have. It, it appears to me that you'd be someone that would be a, a phenomenal coach at some point in your career. Maybe something you haven't considered right. at this point. Is it something you think maybe later down the line you'd ever look to do in the future? The only issue with that, and you, you heard me yesterday yeah. uh, talk to the gym about it, it's just t- like I, it's tough being in the gym every day. Yeah. You know, we've been in the gyms, you know, in those four walls since I've been nine years old, like every day. And I see my coach, you know, Virgil, like being in there every single day. And I just can't see myself doing that. But I, but I'm always here to help. I'm a phone call away. You know, I, I'm, I have no problem. Like Shakur's got a fight coming up. I'll be in camp heavy with him in and out. Like, I, I don't mind doing those things. But Virgil says I don't have the patience to be a good coach. He's like, he's like the guys that, that went to a high level, it's hard for him because you, you want to start where you left off. And you don't have the patience to start him from the ground up. And he may be right. Mm, agree with that? He may be right. And it's different yeah. for everybody. But he knows me. Mm. And I, I'm, I'm a perfectionist. And I try to do things like precise every time, even though that's, I don't know if that's a reality. So you kind of expect that of your pupil. Mm. And that could be it's tough sometimes. So I, I have to work that I've out. been asked loads of times about potentially coaching after. And it's I, I've never really thought about it, but... I, wouldn't, I don't think I would be able to do it. Like like you said, we've been in, in gyms. I'm seven years old. I was boxing mm. like every day of my life. As a trainer, you have to. it's almost like you're babysitting some fighters. And it's not just one fighter. You may have ten fighters in the gym that you're looking after. So I spend so much time away from my family mm. in training camps and stuff. It would even... It would even take more time to look after fighters. And you'd, you, know, you miss your kids growing up in this game as a boxer. It would be very difficult for me to become a coach after it. Mm. And I guess, and, and yeah. I, sorry, I, I, I've thought about maybe an amateur program one day. You know, just like just having like just just the youth, like something to do after school. They do their homework, and then you kind of build them up from the ground up. I could see something like that yeah. maybe one day. I guess because the fundamentals are so important to to, to kind of young kids, aren't, isn't it? Going into the yes, yeah, the fundamentals, and then you're also like giving them an avenue and something to do where they're not getting in trouble. Like if if they have another sport or you know a hobby, that's fine, but in the Bay Area, a lot of kids don't, specifically in Oakland. You know, they, they go home and they got idle time, and, and that's not good for any young man. So I could see something like that one day and kind of kind of bring in, bring in my boys, the SOG boys, to come face, you know, these guys and, and working our way through the ranks from, you know, state to regionals to the nationals. Like, I could see something like that. We got our own uniforms and stuff. Like, I could see something like that maybe one day. Yeah. But the pros, and, and I said it yesterday, and, and the, the fighters tried to act like this wasn't true, but... You know, f- fighters can be very, very difficult to deal with. Mm. At times, I was difficult for my coach. You're making weight. 
You're dealing with a with a boatload of pressure, and you're seeing the same people every day. You're going through the same routine every day, and sometimes you have a bad day. But as a coach, you got to be able to handle that. Yeah. And you got to know. You got to now. You're not coach anymore when that happens. You're counselor or your father figure. So it's many different hats, and I, I I don't know. We'll see, but I don't know. Well, listen, um, we've taken up enough of your time. I know you've got a busy uh, busy night tonight, but just thanks so much because I know you're jet-lagged and, and there's plenty going on. appreciate your time. I appreciate uh, you, man. Thank you, thank you very much for coming Anytime. to TKO. And thank you at home for watching another episode of TKO Done and Dusted. We will see you, as always, in seven days' time. You've been listening to TKO on Joe. Together with 32 Red.